Damn, it's Pop Culture Cake. I'm your host, Christopher Walken. It's not my best, but I try. I'm here with Adam. Hi, Christopher Walken. This is Adam, and I'm here with Lauren. Hey, Adam. My mute button wasn't off. Uh, Hey! (laughs) Yeah, watch Uh, out for that. Yeah, I'm Lauren, and I'll turn it over to Steve. Hey, I really thought we were all doing... Christopher Walken voices. I'm oh, Steve. Geez. Oh, oh, geez, Rick, it's me, Morty. And over, that was I'm also Christopher Walken. Yeah, was, but as played by special guest. Oh boy, oh boy. Uh, take it away, Forrest. Yeah, we got a couple Walkens over here. I can't tell who's who anymore. I'm gonna go crazy. Well, you might as well be walking on the sun. <laughs> oh my God, is Smash Mouth our musical guest? <gasps> We did not prepare. Forrest, I hope you were done with your introduction, by the way. Yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> you want me to say... <laughs> we no, just I, ran... we got to take this intro back and shoot it. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Great. So today we're going to be discussing nostalgia. Enough. I've read somewhere that our generation, millennials, are the most nostalgic generation ever. And some thoughts of why that may be is because we grew up in a time where technology grew so rapidly that in previous generations, they had stuff that they associated with their childhood because things moved at a slower pace. So they got to kind of enjoy it. Whereas we constantly felt like there's new thing, new thing, new thing, new thing. And so, I mean, go capitalism, right guys? That's my catchphrase. Um, Really tapping in. Is it, or is it, this is caused by capitalism. I thought that was the catchphrase. It might be. Who knows? You have to be yeah, a long-time enough. listener to appreciate the joke. Uh, they are tapping into that by rehashing all the Disney movies you grew up with and you know, bringing back gritty reboots of cartoons that we liked to try to tap into that sweet, sweet millennial cash that we have because that's why we're not <laughs> buying houses and getting married and stuff, right? But anyways, uh, yeah, okay, before so I veer like too much... Three minutes for this episode to turn into a critique of capitalism i mean like i'm there with you we but also, this is this is we, what you get when i host baby i was gonna say so. we we put dane as host and you expected it not to start off yeah. there there but, should yeah it should have been like that. A, i was gonna talk about mario and stuff no well we can still now talk you about absolutely mario. can so i am now going to hand the reins over to forrest to introduce his first nostalgic topic to talk about Mario. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, segue from that. Prepare to be shamed, Forrest, for liking something. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, what I was going to talk about is this. It's like 1996 or so, right? I'm approximately like six years old. I'm sitting with my sister, and she's playing Super Mario World. She's a couple years older than me. It's like the world with all the donut stuff, and there's uh, Yoshi's like running around, and there is this cavern part that she like couldn't get across and i was in the corner bawling because in my mind every time that mario died it was something really dying it was like a real death i thought that she was controlling a human life or some sort of life anyway i got really good at mario (laughs) as a kid because i didn't want to i guess kill this guy um and i didn't realize like by the time that i consciously like had uh thoughts about this i had forgotten that it was caused by you know um my existential crisis with uh 
killing <laughs> killing a person over and over again. Hashtag uh, wholesome. Yeah, I was trying to think of a way. <laughs> I was trying to think of something you could say about Mario that hasn't been said a million times. So I thought I'd bring uh, uh bring some of my so childhood. You, you, you thought you you thought you'd bring that if you die in the game, you died for real energy to the to the storyline. Yeah, exactly. But I don't know. I think that like this is the kind of thing that like platform games are the kind of example of something that was not only kind of technologically became obsolete, but also like become a little bit passe really rapidly. I felt like they went from something that uh, like the, almost the default type of game was a platformer game when we were kids. Uh, Does that seem fair enough? I mean, like obviously that's not totally true, but yeah. It was a wildly popular and widely popular platform. Right. Until something that became like kind of passe as I guess, like my feeling is that as 3d games became more normal, like it's more difficult to kind of represent the things that made a platformer game fun in three dimensions. So it just sort of like it came all at once and then it went away just as quickly as it came, at least from my perspective. Um, and so I still get like a very nostalgic feeling picking up uh, old games like that, especially because, you know, the platform mechanics kind of, if you're good at them, you don't feel frustrated by them. There's a whole, like, you really enter sort of a flow where you have the timing down and like, you feel like you can kind of like run through something as you literally run through something. Anyway, that's the kind of energy <laughs> I, that I was I, bringing to this. I don't know, I Dane, also you, feel, please, I also, uh, <laughs> please rake me over the coals. <laughs> no, I, I also feel like you get, I think more importantly than the running, I feel like as you play a platformer more, uh, jumping is such a huge mechanic in those games. Oh, and yeah. no two platformers like have quite the same jump. So it really kind of takes a, you gotta get into the groove of the jumping. That's why I always liked actually more than Mario games was Donkey Kong Country games. Those games were Oh incredible. my god, yes. Donkey Kong Country 1 and 2. I think 3 is a good game as well, but I just did it like two didn't, was, it two didn't land. Though. Yeah, no, 2. I think 2 was technically the best. I think I might have more nostalgia for 1 just because we had a VHS that was like a half behind the scenes making of that was mostly bullshit um, and then half like a terrible attempt at being cool 90s kids type thing where it's like oh we're all in our backwards hats and we're playing super nintendo and let me like talk to these teenagers and they'll tell you how cool donkey kong is Ah, i should find (laughs) that i should find that for the show notes well i mean like it sounds is donkey kong the one you're talking about dane is that also a side scroller or does it fall under a different category. Yeah, so the original Donkey Kong games were made by a British company called Rareware, and it was the first one was kind of revolutionary in how it was able to the Super Nintendo's graphic output to uh, kind of stack different layers to give like really 3D graphics. So the original was uh, Donkey Kong and Diddy Kong, and then the second one, no Donkey Kong, uh, you were Diddy Kong, and you got to play uh, as Dixie, his girlfriend, and first one was on kong island which is okay cool like jungle stuff whatever but the second one you go to the the bad guys world and there's like a pirate motif with everything oh it's so good it's so so I mean, good that sounds good i i have a question to follow up on this and maybe even spin off into a different source of please nostalgia. spin off because i don't want it just to be the forest and dane podcast no it's, no, <laughs> that, it's fine that, that, i just that, that. would you consider donkey kong 64 a platform game Donkey Kong 64 is a pile of trash. 
Okay. Donkey Kong 64 I... is like the most disappointing thing. Whoa. In terms Whoa. of like stupid things that don't really matter, I think it was, you know, okay. I'm just okay, so disappointed Forrest, by Donkey Kong 64. Forrest, my, my buddy, my friend. Wow. Yeah. Tell me how you really feel, first of all. Second of all, do you think it's a platform game? I, no, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 it kind of is. But I it's don't like, think it's a platform game. I, I, I'm trying to think. I, there's very few platforming elements in the game. It's it's actually really a, a large chunk of it is called collectathons. Donkey Kong Country 64 has so many freaking things to collect. It is insane. Uh, and so it's really just an adventure game. But again, the collectathons. Collectathon, uh, okay, subgenre. Yeah, I get it. So, Assassin's Creed recently. I mean, I I was actually gonna. That was that was the spinoff I was gonna head to. Is that I actually consider the the early Assassin's Creed, the first five or six, the transition point out of platformers, where they it's still you still are basically climbing stuff to win the game. You don't have to, but it's most of what you're doing. And to me, the not the first Assassin's Creed game because oh my god, was that difficult to play. But Assassin's Creed 2 is a major point of nostalgia. I just always like I think of that game still as one of the best historically set games I've ever played that wasn't like super uber complicated German stuff. So that I don't know. I was just what do you guys think? Do you think Assassin's Creed falls under the platform? It's so umbrella? funny. I don't want I don't want to talk too much, but I it's so funny because like to, on the surface, I'm like Assassin's Creed 2. That's that nostalgia that came out. Oh my god, that came out so yeah. long ago. Yeah, <laughs> let that sink in, buddy. <laughs> it just that's old now. Yeah, so. but I, I would say you know, I think I'm just so disappointed by Donkey Kong 64 because like Banjo Kazooie, that <laughs> game I could kind of get into because I didn't already have the attachment to um, like its new IP. So I didn't have the attachment to the gameplay that Donkey okay. Kong had, the original Donkey well, Kong. Well, no, I should say original, little... not the original, but yeah, the not the, the arcade game. Yeah, right. Yeah, but but yeah, but you I are right. It's definitely it's definitely a platformer. I'm just you know, <laughs> salty Sam over here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'll Steve, did vinegar. you have something you wanted to say? It sounded like you were trying to jump in. Oh, sure. I had a couple of things. As we were talking, I had been cataloging all of the cultural artifacts that have stuck in my head from those things. First is the monkey rap from Donkey Kong 64, which... Oh my god, that did happen. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> yes. And then when the rareware sign comes up, the the, mm-hmm. the monkey's screaming, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I can yeah. still hear it. <laughs> so uh, there's some nostalgia for you. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't want to derail, but I do want to say that I think... Do it. The Nintendo 64 era was such a cultural inflection point. For this particular reason, commercials. Post Nintendo 64 era, commercials for video games, I feel like didn't didn't ever hit that same perfect moment, right? Like we had the promotional VHSs that I like would literally be mailed to you blind. They'd be like, hey, I guess a kid lives here. Watch this VHS full of hot new Super Nintendo games. Right? And they had to like rely on not not gameplay footage or very limited gameplay footage to be like yeah this is about mega man and he's running around doing cool stuff and then here's the game it's some pixels but anyway mega man and then yeah, just re- remember the mega man that's the part to latch on yeah to. basically tell your mom or your dad or whomever to go buy you mega man but the commercials were so tasty like i still remember the super smash brothers 
Nintendo 64 commercial, oh, like shot for shot. That's a classic one. Yeah, it's a good one. And I feel like that's I, if that's not in the Library of Congress, I think we as a nation don't <laughs> know what we're doing. <laughs> oh. I mean, did we ever? Have we established if it's in the library? Yeah. Well, and that's what I mean is I was hedging my bets by saying we as a nation don't know what we're doing because that's obvious. Yeah. Lauren, like did you want to weigh in on some stuff? Uh, well, I was just thinking about how, how it was very interesting to me that the first thing that pops up in your mind, at least the first thing in this conversation was about how video games were a nostalgia point. Like for me, it's something completely different. It's scholastic book fairs. Oh, good choice. Yeah, that's the first thing I think about whenever I got excited for school. It was like the scholastic book fair was going to be in a week. It was going to be in a day. Oh my God, it's the day. Like I never felt so excited for something like like I have I've been chasing that high ever since I feel like you know what I mean like the the anticipation and for anyone else who doesn't know Scholastic Book Fair it's like I guess they they just roll into your school library and then they just have a plethora of books to choose from like this gigantic book kingdom and for some you know introvert nerd like me i was like oh my god i'm a kid in a candy store i would just stack up i would get like 10 books at a time you know i was just like it was so exciting yeah totally oh well i mean first of all let's just come out of the gate and say i think pretty much everyone here is that introverted nerd kid so you're in good company excuse me <laughs> i said pretty much Some everyone mr privilege extroverted nerds <laughs> Is that you, Stephen? Would you consider that no, to be the case? I was. Uh, no, Steve, so. Steve is not an introvert. I know. So, Dane, are you once again an extroverted? Is this another form of privilege you hold? Uh, no comment on that. <laughs> so probably, but yeah, no. Wow, book fair is a great thing. Well, so much for the br- tolerant left. <laughs> well, Brent's not here, so I gotta, I gotta make up for him. So. The point is, is that, Lauren, I completely agree. And I think the only reason our entry point was video games is because Forrest wanted to talk about them. Yeah, because I fault. mean, no, it's fine, man. It, it, we all care about these things. For me, my entry point is similar. And like, I wish I could recapture the moment I went to see the, the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring yes, for the first time. Yes, that's... Where it was, <laughs> where it was my dad and I, and I just watched the opening sequence when they tell the history of the ring up until, Chills. you know, you, and I literally, to this day, I'm just like, whoa, <laughs> I would love to get that feeling back. That was an amazing, similar experience of just like, this is, this is everything I could have hoped for. <laughs> what I was guess- like your buildup to that? Because obviously, you know, we're all kind of of the same era. And I really liked the Lord of the Rings books but I had not really dived into, delved into that universe yet. So uh, when, when the movies came out. So I want to know from like your perspective, is this like something where you had devoured all of the media up to this point and you were just kind of like waiting for it to come out or did it hit you all at once? Like how did this develop? Fair question. I had devoured all the media. I had started with The Hobbit as a young kid because yep. my my dad is a huge Lord of the Rings person and he was just like here a kid you you seem to be one of those kids who will end up liking books like i did you want to read this thing read the thing it was amazing and he was like oh good there are more and so by the time what was it 2001 yeah, i was like 11 years old 
I had read all of the Lord of the Rings already and was like, let's let's get the movie come out tomorrow because I'm impatient. I was, I don't know, differently introduced in that way. I somehow was like someone in my middle school, I guess, was like, oh, man, the Lord of the Rings is such an awesome thing. And so I read the books paced such that I would read the book right around the time the movie would be released and then see the movie and then read the next book in preparation for seeing the next movie. Well, I mean, that's a good way to do it. Right? I mean, it yeah. did, however, arm me with a lot of like, that's not how it happened. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, not, like, to be fair, the Lord of the Rings film franchise of 2001 to, was it 2006 or so, is, yeah, not the same story as the book in many ways. But what can you do? That's pretty much every adaptation of book to film. Yeah, I don't want to be the person who like confuses Star Wars and Star Trek, but I'm wondering like how much the film adaptation of Lord of the Rings has informed your sensibilities about like fantasy um, movie adaptions and TV adaptions since then. And like, let's be honest, I'm really talking about Game of Thrones. Even I was waiting. Own, for, yeah, I saw it coming. Yeah. <laughs> I saw it coming. Oh I, man, uh... if I knew the nostalgia podcast was going to turn into the Game of Thrones one, wow, I'm glad I jumped in on this one. I, I think, first of all, can we just all agree that Game of Thrones is too much of a disappointment like Donkey Kong 64 to merit <laughs> nostalgia? Sure, uh, sure. No, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm not talking because I think of that as like a piece of nostalgia. I, I'm just like wondering how our childhood nostalgia for this uh, uh, this movie franchise that like, you know, I think we, we it, even though if we, we are disappointed on? with it in different ways, like I, I think we all pretty much love it. Well, I don't think there's I've really seen a lot of fantasy TV. There's a few exceptions like Merlin, the British show. But a lot of my and Game of Thrones, obviously, but a lot of my experience has been more film. But for me, I recognize that Lord of the Rings is pretty old in terms of its storytelling. It's not as inclusive or even as flexible as a lot of more modern interpretations. And actually, one of the things I ran up against first, and it was before I really understood what racism was, was I was like, but isn't the character in the book white when the, like, for instance, the BBC casted, what's her name? Guinevere as a, a black character. And I was just like, that doesn't make sense to me. And it was before I fully understood that like the BBC was just trying to be more representative and opening it up to a talented actress instead of, you know, trying to adhere to racial norms. So that was one of the things I had to struggle against. And as a young person watching these things, I, I want to stay on Game of Thrones for one second, and I want to share. Oh, please a moment do. Of, I want to share a moment of nostalgia that I feel like starting that sentence, everyone's getting their pitchforks ready. But so when I read, everyone puts their pitchfork down slightly. The first book, pitchfork back up. Wait, why? I yeah, he, did, he told me. He told me I put it down. I didn't get to mm-hmm. choose that. I see, and that's right. That. And you know what? That's right. It's a choose your own adventure video game, but it all ends the same way. It's a choose your own adventure podcast. Oh my gosh. I'm going to write that one down. That's our next episode. But so. Oh boy. So I finished reading, I was reading the book and it was like the end of the first book. And so I had been so shooketh as this, as like the George R.R. Martin storytelling methodology as opposed to the J.R.R. Tolkien storytelling methodology, right? And the like, the grit and the death and just the unforgiving nature of the universe, like Gandalf 
it, Gandalf might die fighting the Balrog and is probably not coming back sort of thing, right? And I had come to terms with like, wow, maybe I guess Ned Stark might not be coming back or anything. And then they, the end of it there. And I am nostalgic for the, the moment when I was like, wow, what a great book. I'm glad that they like, I'm glad that George R. R. Martin did away with anything goofy. Like, Oh, it turns out she actually does have like dragon lineage and will survive throwing herself on the funeral pyre. She's just a crazy lady. And then I flipped the page. I'm going to stall for that moment before I flip the page and they were like, no, 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 there's going to be dragons and shit, boy. Well, actually going back to Forrest's points of how I like it, how seeing the and reading the Lord of the Rings first and connecting it to another nostalgia moment, scene Bean and Boromir. (laughs) So Sean Bean plays Boromir and Ned Stark. And so in the uh, TV adaptation of Game of Thrones, when we got to the Ned Stark storyline, I was like, Oh, look, he gets to do both of the tragic deaths of some of the better books I've read. But the nostalgia thing is like going up against my expectations. What I think Forrest is asking for me, I actually have really appreciated the George R. R. Martin willingness to kill off characters mm-hmm. because I've always kind of gotten annoyed with, I know we're not supposed to talk about the show, but shows like Supernatural, where it just, there's no way these characters should be able to accomplish the things they do right. and not be murdered many times just over a thousand plot times. Armor. Uh, I, I just, just want to say, as someone who has played in Adam's uh, role-playing campaigns before, it's very clear that he's taken inspiration from that as well. <laughs> that is all. Oh, where, where characters die? Yes. Or don't or don't die, because I've also done that <laughs> anyway. But yeah, I really, really appreciated the idea that George R. R. Martin would kill off major characters just because it made sense in the story. And then we got to watch Sean Bean reenact both of the major deaths of my, some of my favorite book series. So that was pretty cool. But, when? Uh, before it got real bad, probably, okay. I don't know, around like season four yeah, or still so. When. <laughs> yeah. So like when it was tired, but not awful. And so. I, it's currently the only artifact we have for like George R. R. Martin's vision for the entirety of the plot, with some real slapdash writing. I hear. Oh yeah. Is does Ned Stark come back at the no end? no he doesn't no. oh he no never does. this is our opportunity to okay what oh I'm sorry did you want to create a legend <laughs> yeah he comes back as it? a dragon wow yeah, uh, it turns no. out he was the dragons. No, he. No, he, he should reappeared. be a dire wolf. Let's be honest. Oh, that would have and been then, better. Yeah, and then the camera zooms out, and there's like multi-dimensional space, and it turns no, out he's yeah, controlling the whole thing behind the scenes. The camera zooms out, and it's Ned Stark playing with a snow globe. Oh my god! <laughs> no, just, no, it just no, pans no, no. to the left, and there's an orange circle that appears, and. But oh. Ned Stark, Ned <laughs> Stark's only reappearance right. was in was in retrospect or in flashbacks. Mm-hmm. He does not. He does not ever play a role again. Which. I, and you know, that's sad, right? Like I felt like no, it's good. I mean, it is no, sad. It, I mean, no, yes, it, right. it's a tragedy. His death sparks right. the whole conflict, well, really. And it just it adds a lot of weight to like when he's in his jail cell and he talks to Varys. I know spoilers for Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, for Game of Thrones, which episode. is brand new, st- brand new <laughs> artifact. Yeah, it's a to little you, live known. And it's a little known story. But anyway, like he says to Varys, he's like, you can get me out of this. And Varys is like, yeah, I could. And then like just walks out. And I was always like, what's he going to do? And then no, he just died. Nothing. Nothing. He does nothing. He does nothing. Because he serves the realm. That was a, wow, it's like he's in the, but yes. So in conclusion, I was nostalgic for the moment when I thought George R. R. Martin wasn't a like 
I put on my robe and wizard hat level nerdo and was going to make a, a fantasy series where bad stuff happens. And he did, but at the same time, he really didn't. Because if you continue in the books, the plot armor surrounding Tyrion Lannister is to the point that yep. I was genuinely disappointed with his willingness to kill off not his favorite characters, but Every, keep his. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Well, and it was, and I think that was the special treatment, right? Because he like, I feel like he went on record or in the interview and he was like, I love Tyrion. Ha ha ha. He's little and he, I love broken things and blah, 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 blah. And then it was like, wow, interesting how Tyrion like finds himself always at the cool parts and he gets all the girls and he has a giant sword and he rides a dragon and shoots lasers. And it's pretty clear that I haven't seen the end of Game of Thrones. No, it's pretty accurate. <laughs> It's about right. Woof. But anyway, you, let's shift away from Game of Thrones because I feel like we're well outside of the realm of nostalgia. You know what else? Another great film franchise that I just, to this day, continuously love rewatching. Jurassic Park. There's a whole podcast about it, but I have to mention it. It's just fan, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, you were too distracted to see if you could. You never stopped to think if you should. And we reference that continuously on this show. I mean, it's. I think it's just. I think not to not to hammer too. I think that movie is a perfect distillation of like of what this podcast represents. You know, the silliness of dinosaurs, the critique of capitalism, annoying experts offer their opinions. (laughs) Well, there's plenty of that quotes. (laughs) Quotable quotes. Life. Quotable Uh, quotes. Yeah, a little bit of Unix systems. Oh my yes. god. Yeah, we do have that now and again. Uh, uh, uh. You oh didn't say god. the magic words. <laughs> Andrew, you've got butterfingers? <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, so like okay. that's another thing that I just like completely miss. Like the, I, the that that franchise was fantastic. Has anyone I, read the books? Because I have. Yes. And they're way yeah. freaking better than the movies. They are. They are uh, vastly um, superior. Michael yeah. Crichton is one of my favorite fantasy slash like um, science fiction novel thriller. I think yeah. he's primarily sci-fi. Yeah, it's too bad he died. Yeah, he died. Oh, man, he was. Yeah. yeah, like a while ago. It's it's so sad though, because like they were, he was still writing. And he's he was brilliant. He wrote a lot of truly revolutionary Sphere, stuff. Time. Oh shit! He died in two thousand eight. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A year after Assassin's Creed. <gasps> oh, he had the, oh long my long god ago. lauren my soul that long ago. and then it's like what it actually was like eight years ago and it's a picture of a ps4 <laughs> like things, yeah things yeah. are things are more recent than you think well i mean i think that's interesting um to talk about for what people feel nostalgia for you know you're nostalgic for an emotion and for a feeling at a certain time but then you know as you grow older you know, your sense of time also changes because I, I don't know, I've been in countless conversations with people being like, oh, yeah, remember when? Oh, wait, that was like, I don't know, 10 years ago, five years ago. And really it was like 30. 50. Yeah. Yeah, like, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think Forrest, actually, the last time we had a Gettysburg reunion, he said something that is still stuck with me. He was like, I read an article recently where a psychologist said that for everyone, their teenage years was about 10 years ago. And that has yeah. just held true ever since. I was like, I've never run into a situation where that hasn't been an accurate representation. Yeah. For me, 20 years, 10, 15 years ago is the 90s, even though it's actually not. You know, my yeah. boss was telling me that 
you know, approximately a handful of years ago is always going to be the 80s. And just like he hasn't, you know. And the sad thing about that is if you fall into that trap too much, then it's like, I'm not, <laughs> you're not engaging with new media, right? Like you're not right, watching new yeah. things. You're not considering new ideas. So that's definitely a trap. Like I think to some extent, nostalgia is a toxic impulse, but I mean, not so much that I don't want to talk about it or anything. Like I think, you know, you engage with it on your, uh, on your own terms. Um, I I see where you're coming with it, but I would say, I wouldn't call it, toxic until you stop realizing that times change until you start to reject change then it becomes toxic right where you start to resent new things or younger people because they don't necessarily have the same memories interests or feelings that you had that's when i think it becomes a problem otherwise i think it's just cute so when you start, you're like out on your lawn with your metaphorical house because we can't afford anything with your, you know, <laughs> you know, loads of debt behind you. And you're just like, get off my lawn. That, that's that, yeah, that's, that's the toxic nostalgia. Yeah. yeah. Well, wait, that hold on. Let's let's check in here. Nostalgia? How, uh, <laughs> no. no, I don't think it is. No. I think it's a it's a it's a, a symptom of it going bad. But wait, no, wait, I just want to I want to check. I want to check. Hold on. Who here is homeowners again? Not this again. Forrest and I. Yeah, and who yeah, else? Have- Steve? Uh, well, so the thing of it is, it's actually a complex network of shell corporations. Is it, or is it a yes, or is it a yes or no question? It's, you might have to well, start paying uh, the difference of uh, in your taxes to the U.S. government. Can't can't send it off to Ireland anymore. Yeah, right. So the point is, is well, of actually, the five people awful, yeah. here, it's actually an upturned tugboat. <laughs> mm. this is definitely not a boat upside down yeah. the walls are definitely wood not just painted val packs and cake that's icing. it val, <laughs> i forgot what it was God. Um, adam steve is gonna start like he's gonna declare his uh his tugboat its own nation oh, oh my gosh. god that would be awesome but the point is is that overwhelmingly as much as we make fun of it four out of the five people own homes in this podcast so oh yeah, but do we though? Okay, yes. I mean, yeah, actually, <laughs> if you yeah, want to talk yeah, about think, debt versus ownership, probably I, not. I think four uh, mortgage companies own property. Yeah. That, actually, no. That we live All in. of us live in property owned by mortgage companies. Yes, probably. That is that is true. Hmm. Yeah, we're not so different, you and I. Well, of course not. <laughs> I just I just like ke- checking us down again because I'm just yeah. like, yeah. I just no, realized, cool. and not that is to say like a young kid, not like playing Wii, because that is also about <laughs> 20 years ago now. Oh, God. But, uh, it's that yeah. old? Yeah. Oh, think oh yeah. It's oh. The Wii is old. <gasps> it's that 20 years, but it's, it's a while. But uh, Friday night was TGIF on ABC. And we used to watch like Sabrina and Boy Meets World. Uh, and it was it was my parents oh my and my sister and me. And so like it's kind of like this nostalgia thing of like I get, you know, I work the week, I go home Fridays, and I get to watch Mandalorian or uh WandaVision or uh Falcon and Winter Soldier. And it's like it, I don't know, it just tapped into that nostalgia bit for me a little bit. I can see where you're coming with that, but you wanna hear you wanna here's a fun twist for you. The critique of that is that capitalism took what netflix was doing making a vast majority of things accessible and relatively easy to come by and recreating cable news or cable tv serials Mm -hmm. so they basically took us back from a place of innovation to a place 
where we were before the age of the internet. Is it well, innovation or monopolization? Exactly. Well, That's the point. Well, I mean, Disney kind of has the both worlds, right? So they have the show on Friday, but then they also have such a vast library of stuff. You no, I just wanted—I just wanted to be you for a minute. Yeah, I no, wanted I to understand. Point no, no, <laughs> definitely ruining <laughs> streaming services by making it just like cable 2.0. I think what you're talking about is actually a really—I don't know—like a holistic, like wholesome, wholesome, wholesome family value sort of moment where it's like we can all sit down and be anticipatory of something. So that's—I get it. Yeah, and my par- my parents actually watched The Mandalorian. They they haven't been getting into the Disney t- TV series at all, but it was also it was always something when I went to go see my parents, we could discuss Mandalorian and you know try to not bring up the awfulness of politics. What is the what what do what Disney series are you talking about? Because I think you're talking. I heard Marvel and I heard Star Wars. Yes. Oh, not not Disney then. What are you talking well, about? They're both Disney. Disney. I know yeah, they're all, all under Disney, but like they're subdivided in my mind. Well, I don't know. That's <laughs> there's a that's firewall. Where you're wrong, Jim. Okay, I know, but like to me, uh, okay, I'm gonna stop there. I guess the dividing line I like to make is like which studio under the Disney umbrella is making a thing. That's it. That's all I wanted to do. Whereas mainstream Disney to me is still things like Cinderella and Pocahontas. That's yeah, that's true. I mean, That's when you what think I about feel. it, the nostalgia factor, what I think of, of, of Disney World, I think of actually <laughs> bringing it back, high school marching band competitions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So amazing. Do you play some high like school Disney tunes? is no, going on never. 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, dude. yeah. But like every three years or so, um, or maybe it was two. It just out of the blue, we would be able. My high school would enter this competition, and you would everyone would be able to go to Disney World, and then we would march around for like a day. I don't know. And then you get to go to Disney World. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. We. I know what you're talking about. If we want to play the back in my day game. <laughs> oh no! Anyone... Do we really? Yes. So, well, so because we went to the same uh, high school, but. Did any of y'all's high schools, like, take you places far away, like Canada or Washington, D.C., if you lived in Connecticut, let's say? No. Just the marching band thing. When you say far away. You went to Disney World for marching purposes. Mm -hmm. You you led a march on the mouse. That's far away. (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah, but it wasn't, it was like an extracurricular. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's, yeah, that's it too, is that you, they didn't yeah. just put us on a bus one day and they're like, well, have fun in Canada, kids. Like you had to like sign up for it or whatever. But Well, eh, we're not trying to be like a downer, but I remember my sixth grade adventure to Ellis Island was completely canceled because you guessed it, September 9-11. 11th. Yeah. So maybe they would have, but by the time I reached high school, we were living in the Patriot Act era. So I don't. I don't remember that even being an option. Yeah, we 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 still went to camp, and that was about it. All the other things got canceled because of nine yeah, eleven. So it was kind of down the pike. Finally, yeah. yeah, finally, a terrorist attack to justify our budget cuts. We God did it, boys. <laughs> I know that did happen. To to momentarily make this about Steve and I, do you remember how like, <laughs> do you remember how like our class specifically had like no school spirit? Yes. And then the, the the grade below us was like 
super school spirit and that we had like super trouble fundraising any of our trips and then yep. the class below us had done so much fundraising they had like an extra trip that year yep <laughs> it wow, was that's the God. weirdest juxtaposition I, so we'd sad. be at like spirit rallies and we would all just be sitting there just like waiting for the end and though yep. the year below us was like yeah woo! <laughs> Instead of just put on our old people hats, we like a 10 year reunion happened a while ago. And I don't think we, yeah, I don't think we did it. <laughs> I think our, you, you don't think that you did it or you well, don't, I don't think like that the your whole class. class. I don't think the, I don't think the class, cause well, I mean, I don't know, you know, Dan I and think I, it are, was the same with my high school. I think yeah. everyone was like, yes, yeah, a 10 year reunion. And everyone was like, eh. wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on. This might be like a thing because neither did my class and we're all relatively of the same graduating class yes, because yes. we were all freshmen at in college at the same time. So maybe there's something wrong with our particular graduating year. Oof. You're a bunch of fucking Colton Hawfields. We had, well, we had it. <laughs> oh, well, hold because, on. Forrest is here. <laughs> yeah. I think we had it because one of our class didn't have particular school spirit. But there was somebody in our class who had enough school spirit for, for the rest of us. Everyone. And I think that's how it realistically happened. I, like, Did I think you there even has go to, to that somebody... school? Yeah. I... <laughs> she doesn't even go here. I... No, I mean, I do this too. I really hope none of my... Uh, none of the people that I went to high school with listen to this. Because I live so close to so many of them. Oh, no. <laughs> and I... What? Really? They're going to come beat you no... up. I have made no effort to even gonna, reveal to them where I live. They're going to make a pep rally on your you, lawn. You have people who live near you? Are you serious? Yeah. You're, I don't want to like dox all these people, but your coworker who married the valedictorian from our graduating class oh, yeah, lives yeah, yeah, like yeah. one town over from me. What? I had no idea. And the, uh, the third, I think that, whatever honors essayist if you will of our graduating class lives in providence now which is again yeah they Rhode would, Island. It's, a small, they would. it's a small flipping state yeah writing uh last i saw lgbt inclusive uh fantasy romance novels for Sweet. kids yeah honestly Whoa. get down with your bad self honors essayist from our yeah. graduating class well okay and that's delightful and kind of strange, but maybe we should get back to nostalgia. I don't know. Is that just I mean, I'm nostalgic. Is pretty nostalgic? Yeah, yeah. but yeah, the thing is, it's you two reminiscing about your high school. We're back. We're back. We're yeah, back. Okay. okay. Point okay. taken. This Gosh. might be an interesting angle. I don't know if anyone else is going to have like experience here, but one thing that I had is because I had older siblings, I have nostalgia for like catching glimpses of media that i had no business of seeing you oh, know how like no. you have <laughs> you you're you're there's kind of like a stereotype that like your parents are really careful about their first child and then mm -hmm. after that like after they've been through this experience once they're like oh good like you're fine like it would just you, you, like where you know you'll trauma you'll be is okay. normalized yeah. for you <laughs> And it's not trauma. It's not traumatic. It's just like, no, I know, you know, like little things here and there, like, you know, probably shouldn't be watching the big Lebowski right now. Things like that. How but, old are you talking about, man? Oh, I don't, you know, okay. I don't remember. Because, I'm an unreliable narrator. I wasn't like okay, young well, enough that it, I don't think I was young enough that it was like really a problem. 
I remember something of what you're talking about because I'm not sure how many siblings everyone has, but I have four and I am fourth of five in that lineup. So I know exactly what you're talking about in the terms of people like, yeah, you're fine is I even remember as a young, young person, like, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 years old, my dad actually trying to stop and be like, I don't know if you can handle this, Adam, like a dog dies in it. And I was like, I should be fine, Dad. The movie was John Carpenter's The Thing. Oof. So, I, oh my God. I, you know, I mean, I think we all have our feelings about Adam's dad, but that's a quintessential Adam's dad moment. I love it. Yeah, that. but like, that's like everyone, like, so I don't know if that's what you, the level you're talking about for us, but I definitely shouldn't, like, I was exposed to some really hardcore stuff really young that, you know that the, you such, know ooh, no yeah that's such, such an american thing like oh i don't know if you can watch this there's uh there's some boobs in it meanwhile there's like people being well, decapitated and blood everywhere. <laughs> right well, yeah, that's, yep but yeah but like in this I'm case just yeah adam's father but, was doing that like hey some bad stuff happens to that dog as it turns into a flesh monster that like slaughters the rest of the yeah, the whole cast of the arctic yeah <laughs> but and it wasn't just that movie. Like, I'm talking, like, I don't know. The point is, is that I'm not sure if Forrest, if that's the level you're talking about. No. But, yeah. My, my, so... Mine is, like, jokes that I probably, jokes that I won't understand. And understood. I better okay. not repeat. Uh, that's, I... that's basically, that's basically the level of what I'm talking about. Uh, and, you that's... know, like, songs that I probably also shouldn't, like, repeat the lyrics of. But, like, you know. I hear what you're saying. That's not that's not really the same thing as watching a horrible yeah, thing but, on but screen. That, that's like I I sometimes wonder about what like that did to my developmental psychology because it wasn't long after that that I remembered comments like oh well he's thirteen going on thirty jokes starting in my life uh oh was like all the serotonin kicked right out of my brain at that age I don't know <laughs> I'm just flashing back to our cabin in the woods episode when my daughter watched the end of it with us yeah that's what i'm talking about man okay. probably <laughs> fine though right well i was much older than than your daughter Yeah, you internalized that trauma well, yeah like did, i remember what did she it. say again uh she so uh, zombies are like eating people and she just repeated this thing that my wife and i say to her when we're trying to get her to eat something she's like take a bite Oh my god! <laughs> and then there's a, and then the unicorn one was the best because she had just recently learned what a unicorn was, but was having trouble differentiating it from a horse, and so she's like, "Horsey, no, unicorn," as it impales a man. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really get the lesson through. Yeah. Right. And that's exactly it. It's like, you got to be ready to identify those things at a canter. A teachable moment. <laughs> yeah. This is. <laughs> Oh no, that's a unicorn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, from see, the subspecies. Yeah, I don't even know horse biology. Never mind. Well, it's a good thing that unicorns aren't horses. Yeah, true. All right. Before this becomes a tangent of what a unicorn would be, I hot take crustacean. Hot take. Whoa, that is very. I'm. I'm trying. I'm grappling with that now. Um, and I'm just well, going to. Do aside. you want to? Do you do you need do you need help to get out of this trap? Oh, you do have something to get? Yeah, because I actually want to circle back to one of the things that the Lauren's first point about nostalgia, where she was talking about the Scholastic Book Fair. One thing I genuinely miss, and this is quintessentially a millennial experience, was the Harry Potter book franchise. 
that feeling of, yeah. oh my God, another Harry Potter book's going to come out. It's been only four months, it, oh, three days. I'm going to read it in 18 hours. Like, Aww. see, I was the um, anticipation. Yeah. I was a big the, fantasy nerd even back then. So right? for me, I always disliked Harry Potter when I was younger because I was like, wands, that is so lame. I'm over there reading like Dragonlance and uh, the Del Toro Quest book series. Like those are my. J- I remember getting excited to get Del Toro Quest at the book fair. I do you guys get like super vivid? Like like I can close my eyes and I can like imagine the book fair in my middle school library. Yeah, like, absolutely. Vividly, like yeah. spatially, everything. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I'm right with there with you, Dan. I like devoured anything fantasy or anything like. I kind of have been like reflecting back on um, how, you know, so the, the, I was like one of the kids that would read books at recess instead of, you know, uh, (laughs) yeah, I know what you're talking about. Well, do I have the podcast for you? Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is, is that uh, I, I um, was listening to somebody the other day and they made a comment like, you know, now that we have like these phones and this new technology, and I was kind of making the connection between the video games. It's like, as we grow older, we have better ways to disassociate ourselves from reality. But I'm still, but I still want the Scholastic Book Fair because that is the reality I want. Like, let's be honest. It's like the, the anticipation of a new adventure right so is this going to your like to the point that some people have made of i don't know accessible technologies and intention spans where it's just like maybe the sensation the ease of access to things like escapism is such that anticipation is no longer much of a factor i mean i think for people much younger than us i think we i mean like you know growing up with the harry potter or waiting for that next book or waiting for that next you know we had to get that game from eBay or whatever, you know, or going to GameStop, (laughs) you know, like that anticipation of getting something. But I also think it's interesting. I just want to make a point before I wrap it up is like so far, what we've been talking about is a nostalgia for an item, a thing that we have consumed. I think that's interesting to me because I feel like that's like a product of the nineties. Or is it just a product of capitalism? I mean, that's the height of the, the height of consumerism. I mean, but yeah, and I'm I'm wondering if you're talking about um, Adam. You were talking about whether people will have the same sort of anticipation um, mm-hmm. that we had. Yes, that is and, what I'm asking. Yeah, and I wonder if that's more a function of like what economic class you're in, because you know yeah. people still buy, have to buy things and they have to save up, and I think that that might be more of us coming to the realizations that now as we're older we control to some extent um our own like spending we can kind of have easier access to media but as a kid you're still sort of at the mercy of so we're all at the mercy of economics but as a kid you're also at the mercy of like you don't control that directly unless i wonder if it's more of a function of that unless unless you're just like a spoiled little shit right Mm -hmm. (laughs) working uh yeah or that well, I mean, let's presume you're under the age of legal work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, I think that's, I think that's more of what Forrest is going for, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. So in that case, you're, you're right. 
it's it, like I had to either like save up Christmas money for a year to buy a Harry Potter book or ask my mom. And if she said no, that was that. Mm-hmm. I think there's a little bit of interesting complexity in there. Also, the notion of of scarcity, especially of like niche mm. goods. Right. Yeah. Cause Lauren mentioned GameStop, which is like I wanted to touch on. And then that was the fact that like prior to year nearest video game store was a 45 minute drive away mm-hmm. or at least the nearest one that i knew of because again like i didn't have this was like pre-internet or early internet and so there could have been there could have been a video game store like two towns over i wouldn't have known right and so they eventually opened one at the nearby mall but it was small and so for example the uh the dot hack series of playstation 2 games had come out uh, and they were niche, right? They're like weird Asian RPGs. And so it's a four-game installment. And one day, Volume 2 was at that GameStop. Not one, not three, not four. But you better believe I, I bought number two because that was all I had. That was all we had access <laughs> right. to. That's all the access I right? had, yeah. But that's what I mean is like I'm nostalgic for that sort of experience of like rifling through the used game section and finding something that's interesting and affordable because now to Forrest's point, like if there's something I want, I can find it online, no matter where it is in the world, import it if necessary, download a translation patch, read the walkthrough. Like I can do all of that versus before when it was like, Oh man, you know, do I want to use three sheets of paper to print out the the section of this .txt walkthrough from game FAQs to help me get through right. this puzzle? Should oh, I draw the map that. myself? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my oh. god, game FAQs. And that's actually, I, I thought where you were going to go with that is not the scarcity of like, you can just find anything you want online and purchase it. But depending on the type of media, and how much effort you want to put into doing something to like crack a system, you just go on the internet and download it, right? Yeah. I, 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 so like everything is kind of at your fingertips, depending on you know, with with some level of scarcity still. But we do live in a world where like you, you know you wouldn't still wouldn't download a car, but you probably would just download if, a video game. If I could download a car, I would download a car. Well, oh so, yeah, <laughs> I mean, like feasibly yes downloading video Mm -hmm. games just through online marketplaces absolutely but like the the in many applications in all applications wink wink fbi uh (laughs) the copy protection algorithms make it so that i can't download a playstation 2 game i would have no way to play it i have there's no to my knowledge there's no software package that would allow me to emulate the complex network of hardware and firmware on a PlayStation <laughs> 2 console. Surely there's not there's not such a uh, program you can find. <laughs> no. But I mean it's a very good like, point. And I mean to yeah, exactly. To some extent it's almost easier. Right? Like luckily, but you're right. Like the online marketplaces, right? Like next generation beyond that, the online marketplaces became ubiquitous enough. I remember the when the PSN like happened and it was like Sony's flagship thing, and it had fuck all in terms of games on it. Because everyone was like, oh, digital distribution. I'm not tooled up for that. I make plastic circles with the laser beams. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was, and it's about like, and now niche titles for the most part end up on there, and the only real difference is that they don't have sales with the same frightening regularity as brick and mortar stores as they struggle to stay relevant. Right, right, yeah, and it makes me wonder if people are going to have the same kind of nostalgia for like tangible things when there's when it's really just like media. I that's a really good point. I remember Dane. What was the Super Smash Brothers that came out on the Wii? Brawl. Yes. Thank you. I remember in like a midnight release for brawl and myself and uh, one of Dane's and my mutual friends, we bought harmonicas to it as we were waiting in the cold at like 1130 PM. And we just did blues riffs on harmonicas and made up songs to keep ourselves occupied. Goodness. <laughs> That's never like now you do that from your couch. Right. right. If it's a midnight release, it's just queued up. Your PS five is in rest mode and downloads while you sleep. Uh-huh. So is so is nostalgia then tied to the story of how we acquired it? I mean, that's what I'm. That's extent. what I'm wondering about. Yeah, because especially like Scholastic Book Fair, that's all about like the acquiring of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it's a big event. There's a display, you know. And I was actually like, with. while I was thinking about it, because Lauren pushed a good point where we were all talking about items or pieces of consumerism. And I was trying to find something in my mind that wasn't that thing. And I was like, it's still tied to acquisition, but it isn't a physical item. So my piece of nostalgia I'm going to bring up is one that's a little niche, but I think a lot of us can relate to. So Steve, do you remember when we were back in college and trying to find a space to play D and D? Yes. I am nostalgic for the anticipation of that empty room (laughs) where we could just actually put down the roots and be like, yes, we did it. We can play tonight. The game (gasps) is on. I I miss that. (laughs) I have like an evolutionary biology take on this, which is great because I've taken precisely zero courses on evolutionary biology and one course in 10th grade on regular biology. So I'm pretty qualified. Perfect. Uh, yeah, buckle up, everybody. Buckle up, Doctor Newhard. Let me take you on it. Let me take you on a journey. So, all of this sort of acquisition-based nostalgia we're dealing with is almost—I feel like it's sort of like the war story idea. And I think it all so it, neurochemically it ties back to the fact that emotional grounding is like a, a cornerstone of memory formation. Yep. And so I wonder then if it is that we are a tree, like we invest so much emotion in these like rare and exciting moments like of scarcity right like the scholastic book fair is like once a year and yeah, you think... and you know like you know it's coming they have those like wafer thin catalogs of like here are some things that are coming to the scholastic book fair right and it like it builds the anticipation and then you know you you like eagerly await in homeroom that day to know like at what time they're going to march you all down to the middle school library to go look at books and for how long you're planning your money and everything i think it's a scarcity thing i think it is like if we replace scholastic book fair with like the magical part of the season when the tubers are at their most tender like it's it'd be the same thing interesting i'd actually go a a step further it it it's exactly what you're talking about, but it would put it in literary terms where I think a lot of Western culture is centered in the storytelling motif of the hero's journey of Mm -hmm. major moments of action and courage that define them and change them or don't as it may be. So maybe that's all what this is playing into. Maybe 
if we were to play this podcast for people in a different country who don't have that same setting, like maybe a more Buddhist country where the story is more about introspection. Why would they be listening to a podcast about pop culture in such a country? Because American cultural imperialism, my dude. (laughs) Whoa, we're contributing to the project. (laughs) Special guest of Matt with us this evening. I'm everybody tonight. I'm Brent. I'm Matt. I'm you sometimes. Identity is a construct. I was I'm nostalgic for a time when it was just me and I was the only one. (laughs) I've always been mostly on your side, Dane. You know that. So I think that that's actually a huge point, and it's what what a great time in the podcast recording to bring up a huge point. But (laughs) the the (laughs) slow down, take a breath. It's so ahem. Talking about sort of cultural relevance, we think about like what previous generations are like. I feel like the traditional nostalgia was like, I remember when I could, you know, harass a minority and get three be- three button bean candies for a nickel down at the country store or whatever, right? And it does seem it does seem more experiential or like we used to play until the street lights came on. And so I wonder all the way back to the idea that maybe our generation was the first test bed or maybe the second test bed for consumerism. Right. Interesting. And yeah. maybe it's because it's no longer a, a like fait accompli, right? Like a previous generation or maybe, I don't know about Gen X, but definitely before that, uh, like no, every, they bought in, but every, every boomer was like, yeah, I'll get a house. I mean, Gen, Gen X was, they, they grew up in a time when they literally made TV shows just to sell toys. I mean, you can't, you can't get past that. Well, and that's I what mean... I'm saying is that I feel like it might be that it that we became be, we began to really explore this conflation of like wealth and divine providence distilled through an, like an atheist or agnostic media empire to be like it's no longer like oh yeah everyone gets a house and a living wage. It was now like you're gonna work you know the dream is to get a house and a living wage, right? It's like the, the dream, hero's journey to get the, the house. Yeah, basic the, needs yeah. are the reward for only the most valiant. Fuck. So then, was the previous generation's hero's journey something along the lines of their they're just their starting point was different? We're mm-hmm. the hobbits in the hobbit hole, and we're the people out in the hills being like, what even is a hole? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like when we're talking about the past, you know, you can't you can only... You, you're changing your moral yardstick to look at something be based on where you are now and, you know, mm-hmm. and time doesn't really exist, but everything's happening all at the same time. But, um, whoa, whoa, actually, <laughs> yeah, I don't actually know hold on, yeah. hold on, slow down. <laughs> no, but what hold you, on. You, you said that and I was like, yeah, ah, 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 time has no meaning pandemic humor. And then I was like, no, wait, I finally got it. I'm, I'm resonating on the same frequency. <laughs> no, no. I mean, this is fundamentally a you're not wrong. You're not wrong, but not all time is happening at the same time. And, but you're right about relativism. You're absolutely right about that. I'm glad we turned our cameras off because I, my, I had such a brain. Heads are exploding <laughs> in, in various courts. We just we wandered into. Freaked. I mean, we wandered into an academic wormhole here. But go ahead, Lauren. Have... I want to, Lauren, finish finish your thought because yeah, it's sorry, a good we one. All... Go it wasn't it. really a thought. It was more like that was it. It's sort of oh, like, it's all relative, man. It's all relative, <laughs> and you know whatever my nostalgia is is all subjective. 
So it's yeah. all contextual yeah. and subjective. But the interesting is, thing yeah. about about nostalgia is that people can have a shared experience mm-hmm. about it. Like, right. let me okay, let me give you one piece of nostalgia that I thought of: Square Pizza. Oh my God! Do you mean like <laughs> like Elio's? Elio's Pizza or School Cafeteria Pizza? Yes. That's where where I went. Can you taste it? Can you smell it? Can you envision the stupid styrofoam? Yes. And it's... For me, it's the cheese. I can vividly remember that cheese. Yes. And it was weird, like... You, I like for me. I wanted to get the burned bits because it had a different taste. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Otherwise, it was just or an cardboard. edge piece versus a centerpiece. Yes, depending on who you were. True. And oh my so what gosh. I'm here, or the so or that day, what you're feeling like. I'm feeling like a nice squishy middle, or okay. You know? So nostalgia doesn't have to be necessarily one thing or another. It is experiential. Shit like that. Like there's <laughs> little <style>. right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, sleepovers. I remember sleepovers. Yeah. Those were well, great. Yeah. And I think, I think before we we like rake ourselves over the calls, Forrest's <laughs> initial thing was the story of him and his sister playing Mario and his empathy going into overdrive at the little yeah. the little pixel man. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. And so I think it is. I think ultimately you're right that like these things have emotional weight because they have formed stories. Hmm. I mean, right. I can think of a lot of things. Oh, God, Steve. I was just, well, just thinking about, like, the BuzzFeed quiz level, like, only a 90s oh, kid God. will recognize okay. these slap bracelets or whatever, right? And it's like... Pick a thing, yeah. If I saw a picture of, like, a pog, I'm not going to be... I'm not, like... That in and of itself does not excite me. It's like a glimmer, a dull glimmer of recognition. Like, oh, that's a Pog. But what then follows is the fact that I had a collection of them, and no one knew how to play Pogs, but everyone had to exactly. have them. Yeah, that, <laughs> was, crazy that was definitely real. Oh man! Oh crazy! Or, and I know this. I'm not. This is not everyone, but I would also put Pokemon cards on that list. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No but, one. But Dane. Oh. Okay. No. Go ahead. Dane and Dane was making a point though. I wanted to let him. Oh. Oh yeah. Sorry, Dane. Yeah, all I was gonna say is like, uh, yeah, I'm sh- well. First of all, I, we're sharing a lot of consumerism stuff because this is a podcast about pop culture, at least. So that's why I mean, like, I could talk about memories I have of like playing in the woods with my friends and like memories of my like first pets and all that. But like, it just seems like very intimate for a, a podcast setting. So yeah. I, <laughs> that's kind uh, of why I'm not really going with those. So back to nostalgia things. Um, Another series that I'm always very uh, uh, nostalgic about is Harvest Moon. And I was like this close to picking up the new one, now called uh, Story of Seasons. Uh, oh, Lauren has something to say. Is she a Harvest Moon fan? Please oh tell me gosh. you're a Harvest Moon fan. Hell yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, 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 Dane, the, the, whole, like, the whole idea of that game is to farm and to find, like, the love of your life and make a family. Like, that's such a weird nostalgia trip in that game. You know what I mean? I do. And I now, but, like, now we have Stardew Valley, which is, like, all that plus, like, more adult themes of, like... You know, there's a there's a guy that chooses to be in the wilderness and he's kind of ostracized by the rest of the town. And there's like references to like people having uh, affairs and having children Whoa. out of wet, like all that. Like, there's have you played have you played uh, uh, 
Stardew Valley? No, but that sounds Whoa, fun. Yeah. Oh, you got I know I haven't I haven't gotten onto it. Yeah, I'm I'm late. I'm even late to Animal Crossing and the latest Pokemon. Well, I mean, don't, don't worry about Animal don't worry. Crossing. Yeah, it's don't the worry same about game. Pokemon either. Actually, yeah, How, for both they, of them. They're basically they just, the same reader. Can they just stop making new Pokemon and no. just like... like oh, wow. like I, I Dane, like the regional the bad, Dane, Dane, the bad place. Dane. Capitalism. <laughs> You're going to the bad place and... and Your capitalism rears its ugly head. <laughs> Yeah. What is art anyway? The point oh, is, is that you know the you're right though. Like there are certain games that we haven't really touched on that I thoroughly enjoyed, like the Final Fantasy VII series versus the final. Let's talk about remakes. Like, oh yeah, Steve. Steve touched on this briefly, and so did you, Dane, with the Disney movie remakes. But like one area that I really enjoyed remakes in was a remastering of StarCraft One and WarCraft Three, which were the last really great rts's that i played and so do you guys have a problem with remakes what are your thoughts on these things i mean i think they can be this is almost like not even an answer at all but i think they can be good but as long as it's not like for example my understanding is so they're remaking mass effect series right and i think they're taking out the stupid ship from the first one, the, <laughs> the one the, where you can like jump around the Mako or Mako or yeah. however, however you're supposed to say it. And I feel conflicted about that because I it's it's a thing that I loved to hate. It's a thing that I didn't want to do, but I feel like is intrinsically part of it. And I think that's like an encapsulation of my feeling about remakes. You can kind of, you really have to have a deft hand in deciding what stays, what goes, what's part, like what's intrinsic in the original. Um, and of course, that's all subjective. Like everybody's going to have their own opinion. Opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. And like, I, I, it's just, it's like a whole fraud thing. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm like almost stumbling over what I'm trying to say because... No, you're not. It, you're. I think you're making a fairly clear point of remaking things is complicated in the fact that we all had a different experience to go back to our point about what is nostalgia. But Dane, I know I brought up the Disney franchise. You had something you wanted to add to that? Well, I just want to piggyback real fast off the forest thing. I think it's interesting to see this. So they're cutting the Mako stuff from Mass Effect. If you go back and look at the uh, Wind Waker remake, Legend of Zelda Wind Waker remake, they took out uh, a big subplot or a sub quest of that and they made sailing faster and if you look at like the assassin's creed remakes they like sped up gameplay and all that and i think it just goes to show that like when they repackage up these things it's like oh yeah you can play this game but like we've got past the limitations of the technology or we're making it easy for easier for you now so you can enjoy it in less time because i i feel like you know you get nostalgic for these games then you go back to play them and it's like oh yeah there was this like tedious mechanic that i wasn't really a fan of and you know you always look through nostalgia with uh, uh, rose tinted glasses is, is all i would really add on that and now i'm kind of forgetting the point i was gonna make so i'm just gonna hey that's okay i mean it's it's sort of what i was trying to say earlier with the lord of the rings when i was critiquing its storytelling method of not really having a lot of female characters who are actors or agents or, or have agency or authority. It's the same basic concept where I was like, 
I love the Lord of the Rings with a fiery passion, but you know what? It's storytelling motif is old. And sometimes when I'm go, when I go back to stories that are not even that one, but contemporary ones, I'm like, Ooh, okay. This is, this is problematic. So I don't know. Is, is there some level of rose tinted glasses that make these things better not to revisit? Should we not be making remakes and revisiting these things? I well, mean, there's a couple I, arguments for it, right? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, it wouldn't be so bad if it wasn't such blatant cash grabs. But go ahead, Forrest. Well, I was going to say, you know, when you remake something, are you trying to add something? Are you trying, like, are you trying to say something new, or are you just sort of repatching something up? Um, and either can be fine as long as we're kind of clear on what the expectations are an interesting one though i don't have much to say about it because i haven't played it is uh final fantasy 7 remake which seems to be a remake that actually like adds a lot um but in a way that my understanding is people are generally positive about and i think that's interesting because um it's not just like a repackaging um it's kind of a a new game, but in the but with the same ideas as the original. But I don't know. Like, but this also goes into questions about like why are there so many sequels in movies right now? And it's because oh well, you know, it's relatively safe. But also, is that sort of like a naive argument? I don't know. What do you guys think? I'm I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pull the same thing Dan just did and like slowly fade out. <laughs> hey, no, it's it's not naive. It's it comes down to the point that's kind of underwriting a lot of what we're doing here which is you know art is expensive if you're in it for a profit so making sequels and activisions making modern warfare 97 like they're not creating anything new they're just repackaging it and that's not really touching nostalgia really at least not for me because the original modern warfare looks nothing like black ops and i just I guess to try to tie it into something a little bit more generalized, the Disney remakes, the live action remakes of their classic films from the 90s millennial Disney Renaissance era, it was that I have not liked a single one of them. And if their purpose is a cash grab, they're not getting any of it from me. So who are they trying to, is it really a remake or are they just trying to repackage them for a new generation? I mean, like I said before, we're the most nostalgic generation as observed, and we are now the, you know, we, while we have all of our debts and, you know, making less than our parents did effectively, we still have some portion of the economy. And so they are trying to market it to us with this, with these uh, remakes and stuff like that. And I don't think we are certainly the, uh, the, the mainstream uh, consumers of our age. Um, I think who pretty, is um i mean the your friend from middle school or high school that still posts disney memes and stuff like oh that. you mean like know. us specifically within yes. our own age group yeah okay yes. all right i thought you might have been pointing to a different demographic uh lion king didn't offend me i liked some of the voice acting uh, actor choice in there and i think uh um john oliver was a fantastic zazu i mean just fantastic like he was the best part of that whole movie Really? The only white character, Dane? What? Really? 
<laughs> I'm, kidding, I mean, I'm kidding i'm kidding i'm <laughs> kidding well, i just wanted to just want to get ahead of that one yeah you certainly did no i mean well fuck also white god damn it i mean i didn't even recognize that it was beyonce to be totally honest and then uh i, I like uh donald glover is always pretty good i refuse to watch mulan because they completely butchered it from what i understand and yeah has really as soon as they cut mushu man fucked up story of like Oh yeah, you're a woman. You're powerful, but only if you're actually born with powers. Like it's just not good. Didn't see Beauty and the Beast. I am very interested in watching the new Cruella film, but that's kind of tangential to the nostalgia thing. Where instead of a remake, it's like a no. Yeah, the, the, I've noticed Disney's been interested in their villains of late, like with the Maleficent franchise being semi-successful. But does anyone else have opinions on new Disney, or is it just Dane and I watching them? Yeah, I was going to say, I actually haven't seen a Disney, haven't seen me a Disney in many moons. Even even with a, a little Babby? She's, seen, she's yeah. seen Cabin in the Woods, but not Mulan? Yeah, she's, she has so far watched, to, to my knowledge, two, well, she's watched one feature-length movie, which was some random thing off Netflix, and she has watched part of Cabin in the Woods. Yep. She's not wow. yet seen a Disney movie. Okay. Forrest Lauren, anything... About, yeah, now I feel like a you failure. Thanks. Not... Yeah, yeah, no, you kind of. We, we recently watched Mulan, like when it came out, the remake, and I sort of didn't, don't really feel like it was anything worth seeing. Um, okay, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have, you know. Yeah, I thought it was interesting for me to see it because I lived in China and also lived in Mongolia, and so mm. I had a different. It was an interesting perspective. For me, but just the one thing I thought was cool was that they got in more cultural elements of religion um, with that one female character villain, kind of the gray, gray area person that you're not sure if they're on your side or not, or the, I mean, the protagonist side. Um, But she was uh, like modeled off of a shaman. And I thought that was um, pretty interesting. So that's why she can turn into a bird and and things like that. So it got into a little bit more of like the, the cultural or mystical background of some things but i also uh thought it was lame so you know <laughs> oh I mean, no uh, so even you know, with all I that the it was singing, like but i but i was nostalgic for the singing though you know the songs and that's that's what i was nostalgic for but i liked the new cultural editions yeah that's i think we all we all loved the Barely disguised Broadway ripoffs uh, that were the '90s Disney movies—they were awesome. Oh Here, man, so. I just saw—I just saw a GIF, and it just Ace Ventura is a name I haven't heard in a long time. <laughs> yeah. Dude, Jim, Jim Carrey. I oh, thought you were dead. Yeah. Dude. All right. Well, do we have any kind of parting words? Anybody have any uh, closing statements? I, I, I have one thing I want to throw in that has nothing to do. Uh, with what we've talked about. I believe that I said this in the last episode, but anybody uh, who's listening to this, any of you, if you're thinking about playing this game, 13 Sentinels, just play it. What is there, I've never even heard of that. What is that? Oof. So it's kind of two games, right? Um, there's, uh, there's a mode where you're following around 13 kids. Um, like you pick one at a time and you basically follow along with their story. And it's a story base, like you walk around, you talk to people. And then there's another mode, which is somewhere between like the reason that you play it. Um, but basically, um, this game subverts your expectations by going into some kind of like 
sci-fi tropes type things, but then then subverts those expectations and subverts them. It, it it's really it's a in giant subversion. Right. Steve's <laughs> already I'm gonna head it's to my local. Yeah, I'm gonna head That's... to my local GameStop, pick it up. Uh huh. <laughs> If they no, have it. I, I hear their stock has gone up recently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess my only parting words are, Lauren, go pick up Stardew Valley when you get a chance. And... Thanks. And don't forget, everyone, to read the book before you see the movie. Yeah. Read have the fun. Stardew Valley novelization. <laughs> I bet it's really good. I bet there's some doujinshi out there. Ooh. I bet. Well... <laughs> And on that note, this has been your nostalgia episode of Pop Culture Cake. Bye. Bye. Auf Wiedersehen. I did. Yeah, so we're trying to figure out who's going to be the lead in. Last time, we, Dane, I recall, you do you do make these fun because you mess them up at least once. Oh, <laughs> oh man! <laughs> I'm like, what, what podcast am I messing with? No, no, yeah. nothing, not nothing like grandiose. I'm talking like you give us a nice hiccup start, which is always fun to stick on the end. Oh, I usually do a voice when I do it too. It's true. Yeah, so, so I mean, so Dan, if you, you could just uh, mess up first well, <laughs> for us, too. dance for us, monkey. <laughs>